Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. So for decades now, as long as I can remember, the Christmas celebration has been in this struggle kind of wrestling, right? So we got marketing and merchandise in the United States, and it's infused itself into the culture, and to the point that I grew up recognizing, if I'm being super honest, that Christmas in the United States has dual expressions. There's what, you know, we, we want to admit, because we're, we're committed to Christ, there's the real meaning of Christmas, and we're not going to let go of that, but then there's this other side of Christmas that's more secular and it's more about fun and gifts. And, and, and I'm not even, you know, this is not to put a downer on that. This is just to draw a distinction that for all of my lifetime, for the most part, society in the church, outside the church, we just kind of manage the middle. So it's a live and let live. And depending on what context you are in, if you're in a religious or a sacred context, then the expectation is that you're going to sober to that and you're going to you know, give reverence to the moment and you're going to think about the real initiation of Christmas. If you're in a more you know, secular environment, you're not going to be so you know, stuffy and, and you're just going to have fun you know, with, with, the, with the festivities. And so we just kind of manage that middle and we just appreciated the joy and the goodness that Christmas brought. However, in case you haven't noticed, something shifted in the past, and I'm just going to narrow it down to the past couple of years, because I think we can tie it to what the Bible says is happening here in the last days, and it needs to be something we're eyes wide open and recognizing we're not in the same world that we were in two years ago, not because of all the COVID crazy. I'm not giving in to that. We're not in the same world because we're watching across the globe Matthew 24 is literally happening in front of our eyes. The season is changing. The whole age that we're in is coming to an end, and Jesus is getting ready to, to close. But here's what we've navigated in the last couple of years. I know I don't have to rehearse it to you because you've lived it, uh, but I'm going to rehearse it just so it's fresh on our minds so I can make a point. Uh, we, we've endured a worldwide COVID pandemic, but not really just one. We've endured wave after wave after wave, variant after variant, and all kinds of ups and downs and here to there, you know, scientific, a medical contradiction and confusion. It's this, it's that, it's, you know, and, and it, it's just been crazy. And if that was the only thing, that would be enough. Because that really changed the rhythms of our lifestyle and held us in, you know, in this pattern for a long time. But on top of that, in the middle of all that, we've got these polarizing politics where some people I'm sure have well intentions and well meanings, but uh, there's a lot of it that is just to, you know, to build on um, a kind of, kind of a, a message and to try to, you know, gather more people around you. And, 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 uh, and then again, we've got the contradictions that are going there. The why are we doing this and what should we be doing and what's really better for the people and, and for the individual and not to marginalize people, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that, you know, that, that just didn't seem to be enough. So let's add racial tension to it. And that's a real thing, by the way. And it's being pulled in, in multiple different directions uh, by this radical ideology. And then some people are trying to blindly hold to a conservative or a, a found, fund, fundamental ideology and not understand, you know, there's this messy middle that we, we've got to find our way in the middle of and, and ask the Holy Spirit to help us with that. We've got violent protests 
And, and we thought those went away, right? But they're reappearing now and they just seem to be untethered and unleashed in some, uh, some states and some cities. There's a growing cancel culture that every single one of us are at least aware of, maybe more affected by it than you think. Because we all have opinions, whether they're informed or uninformed, whether they're you know, from scripture or from our own traditions, we all have opinions, but many, many people, I'm going to say most people keep those to themselves unless they're in a very tight quarantine, not because we don't still have this thing called freedom of speech, but because cancel culture is real. And we don't want to deal with it when we don't know if it's going to be profitable to us. Well, let's take it to another level. We've got gender and sexual dysphoria like we've never seen on the planet. It's like, how do you even get this back in the right box? How do you even have a rational discussion about this? It just seems to drift more and more. Uh, just to kind of put a nice little cherry on the icing of this really bad cake, uh, we've got rising prices. <clears throat> we've got inflation that's happening. We've got supply chain shortages. Uh, we've got economic disruption. And the promise is whatever we're seeing today, we haven't seen anything yet. This is not heading in a healthy direction. And one way or the other, we're going to experience some, some rough waters ahead. Well, that's all the stuff. Now let's back it up and talk about how it's affected people. Uh, I'm not an expert in, in any of these fields, but you don't have to be one just to scan the articles on every side of the aisle and realize that pretty much every phobia and every addictive behavior has been on the rise. It's just jumped to skyrocketing levels, and it doesn't seem to be curbing itself. And of course, this is brought on by fear and anxiety and anger and frustration, and the list just goes on and on, which only further divides everybody and cancels out even more conversation to understand each other, which adds to greater isolation and greater division. And that's just, this is just true across the board. In fact, I came across an article from Inc. Magazine uh, from last December, December the 20th, and this is the title of the article. It's kind of long, but the title is, According to Science, Holiday Music May Be Bad for Your Mental Health. <laughs> now, this is not written as an opinion article. This is written with some substance and some basis, but here's one of the quotes in there. It says, if you're already worried about money, work, and family, and there's a few others in there, during the holidays, then the constant, what they call inundation, of cheerful tunes may reinforce stress instead of relieving it. And by the way, before you just throw that statement away, there's truth to it. If you're already locked into this, you know, kind of a real gloom mentality and you don't see a way out and everybody keeps singing about the joy to the world, isn't this a wonderful season? It, it's not for those people that, that are trapped and locked in this. Well, here's the big question that we would ask then, right? What happened to joy to the world? What happened in just a couple of short years where it's like everybody from every side would find their way to the middle and we would experience this Christmas celebration, this Christmas togetherness, right? This holiday spirit, we used to call it. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't really matter, sacred, secular, we're all somewhere in the middle and we're experiencing this. Well, where, where is that peace on earth, goodwill to men that even the angels promised us would happen? Because... Again, you don't have to be a religious person to realize we need it now more than we ever, ever, ever had. Well, even though the pressure's mounting and the choices seem to be weighty and uh, they're just unavoidable, they're just hitting us wave after wave every day, here's kind of the good news. And, and, and let me posture it and work my way back towards a, towards a, a, you know, a happy thought here. 
um, Jesus predicted all of this. Again, you, you can just read in Matthew chapter 24. And two of the things that Jesus stressed for Christians is when you see all of these things happening, listen, this is real time. Jesus is coming really soon. So you need to wake up. But two things he tells us that are obvious and needed. Number one, he says, do not be afraid. Don't. And you have to study a little bit in the New Testament or or when you put the whole puzzle together, you realize we're not afraid because he who is in us is greater than he who's in the world. And that's real too. That's not just a Christian idea. That's real. And the Bible promises that simultaneously, while things are unraveling here at the end in the world around us, the church is coming together and Christ is showing up in a more and more demonstrative and a real-time way so that we don't leave the earth beleaguered and beat up. We leave the earth that is as a victorious people that is absolutely convinced that God is enough to do everything that he promised he would do. But as it's talking about it, about the other thing it says, says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived because there's going to be a lot of articles and reasons and debates and opinions and, you know, sides and, but don't be deceived. Listen to what God said. He knows what he's talking about. He's the one who wrote the book. He sees all the way to the end. And he said, all of these things are happening, but it's not the end yet. But boy, these are the birth pains and the delivery of God's people. When Jesus comes and gets us, is getting closer and closer and closer really, really soon. In fact, biblically speaking, it could be before the end of the service. I mean, that, that's how close we are. I'm not, I'm not kidding here. I know you see articles, you know, this has to happen before, not, not before Jesus comes and gets us. There's nothing, nothing left. And all of the signs are saying, man, we are really, really close. And here, here's the other, but here's the other thing it says, and this is going to set the stage and we're, and we're going to get into the teaching. Listen to this. One of the things that Jesus described, the effects on the people of the earth, not just secular people, but Christians, He said that as this thing keeps unfolding and wave after wave and it's intensifying and they're all coming together and we can see it from every side, he said the love of many will grow cold. Now we know he's talking about believers there because he uses the word agape for love and that's the only people that are addressed with this love of God are the people of God. And so he says the agape even of God's people, God's people to be able to, will begin to grow cold uh, in their ability to stay focused and remain loving towards God, focused and passionately committed to Him and loving towards one another. And here's what's interesting. That term grow cold is from the Greek term suke, which is where we get psychology or psychiatry. And it really is talking about the soulish or the human part of us. And so when it says grow cold, the the literal meaning here is describing that over a period of time, the people's emotions, people's ability to process mentally, think rationally, think intelligently, sort things out and come to conclusions, and people's willingness and determination, their inner strength and confidence to be able to make decisions and stand on the line and not move, that's going to begin to grow cold. And the term grow cold actually leans us towards and says that it's going to begin to wear thin. It's going to begin to cool off. There's a weariness that will start setting in. There's a numbness that will start setting in where you hear another report and another variant. And rather than, you know, kind of listening and leaning in and saying, Lord, talk to me about this. You're like, oh my gosh, here we go again. I'm just so tired of this stuff, you know, and and it's a weariness that's happening. We, We can't process this fast enough. 
And this is literally what we're experiencing and what we're watching in, in Christianity. But again, this is not how Christians have to, uh, are supposed to surrender to. The Bible says Jesus is coming and he's coming for a church that is not weary and waxing cold. He's coming for a church that is bright. That is focused. Man, we, we, st- we can see right through all of this. We know this is real. We, we can't run away from it. We're going to face it with confidence and courage and with the power of the Holy Spirit. But we are going to lock in because we know that, that Jesus is coming and the signs could not be more prolific and could not be clearer. And it helps us to kind of sit up straight, to wake up, shake the sleep off of ourselves, and say, okay, then let, let's get focused here. Let's get focused. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Now, that's my big introduction to kind of catch your attention and get you focused from a biblical standpoint. But let me turn a corner now because what's really interesting is this prep time for the second coming of the Lord. Uh, Don't get confused by that. For the rapture of Jesus. Okay, this prep, what's prepping us, all the signs, in some ways, in a lot of parallel ways, less intensity is not that much different than they were the first time Jesus came. You can almost check boxes and say, wow, it was kind of the same because the Bible tells us when Jesus came the first time that it was during a period of time that darkness ruled the world. The Old Testament had ended the last anointed word. The last time the Holy Spirit spoke something and reverberated in the earth was 400 years before. And then here comes Jesus, and this is what the book of John says in chapter 1, verse 5. It says that Jesus was the appearance of life. We can say the reappearance of life, and this life was the light of mankind. And verse 5 goes on and says, and that light still shines in the darkness, and the darkness has never been able to put it out. That's true today. We can live in the light of the reality of God. I don't mean just informational clarity. I don't mean just, you know, inspiration to kind of keep us pepped in our step. And I mean, we can live in the light of this is real and this is what's happening and this is what God promises. And we're going to live out our lives in the fullness of everything God uh, gave, gave to us and everything Jesus provided. And this is what this, this verse said. When Jesus came, the lights came back on. And when the lights came back on, it's kind of like that, that carol, O Holy Night, All of a sudden, Jesus brought a thrill of hope to a weary world, to a world that was exhausted, that had kind of lost hope, that didn't know if God was real, didn't know if he really would deliver, if they really could hold on to the expectation that their best days were still ahead because everything around looked so dark and it had been such a long time since they'd experienced uh, God stepping in in a real way. But, but this is where we're at in time, and this is what the New Testament tells us. So here's where we're at in the whole series, and then we're going to get right to today's study. Um, we're going we're to look at the Christmas story again. And we're going to look at some of the characters and some of the facts about the Christmas story. Some of these are going to be familiar, and we're going to kind of put a fresh edge on it in light of all the, all the changes in the world. Some of the stuff you've probably never heard before, because you don't just get it out of the traditional te- uh, uh, tellings of the story. You've got to look at some of the Christian early writers and, and do a little deeper. But we're, we're going to bring some of that to you. And we're going to rediscover the thrill of hope, real time, that Jesus brings because we're going to finish this year strong. 
We're not going to finish the year just like December 31st. Oh my goodness, I'm glad that's over. We're going to finish it strong. We're going to finish it replenished and refreshed. And we're going to finish it leaning in because, listen to me, should the Lord tarry, God's got a really big plan for us in 2022. And we've been praying and we're excited about walking you through that. So, so we're going to get started this morning. In fact, before you turn to Luke chapter 1, let me just kind of refresh our memory. When we talk about the thrill of hope, let, let's make sure we get a Bible context because hope from a Bible context is not the kind of hope that we talk about all the time. Like fingers crossed, you know, I, I hope so. I just really hope. Or it, it's not this, you know, this optimism that we put in. Well, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to stay in hope. I'm just going to stay in hope. It's not an optimistic attitude. Bible hope is a very definite and a very measurable thing. Bible hope is an expectation that's created when you and I realize God said something and he put a period at the end of it. This is what I promise. This is what I will do. This is who I am. This is what I've done by your accepting me, by stepping into salvation. This is who you are. And once you get that picture on the inside, it's like somebody handing you a brochure and you can see the picture of the product that's about to be custom built for you, but you can walk away smiling from ear to ear because you don't have it yet, maybe, but you do have the promissory note and you have this very clear architectural drawing. You have this snapshot of what God guarantees if you will follow him, this is what it's going to look like. And this is all over the Bible. And this is the word hope. It's the Greek word elpis, and it's very clear. There's, there's nothing, you know, kind of, well, well, we'll just have to see. It's a confident expectation, so much so that the Bible says it activates your faith. And Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith becomes the substance for the, for the picture, for the hope, for the expectation that God created. How do I know that will happen? And faith begins to rise because God said so. Because God's a faithful God. Now, see, this is not like deep theology. This is one-on-one stuff that as we begin to understand this, it's going to allow us to begin to march solidly in, into God's future. And we'll watch, we'll, we'll watch ourselves become full of joy and full of confidence and full of victory, even though things around us will become more and more and more chaotic. So I ask you to turn to Luke chapter 1. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at Mary. Uh, She's obviously, you know, besides Jesus, she's the central figure of the Christmas story. But let me kind of tell you where we're coming from, where you get to some sectors of, uh, you know, of of God, God, you know, God-focused religion, and you get people like, or sectors like like the Catholics who've made Mary into an idol. And literally part of their teachings is you worship Mary, you pray to Mary, and that's not scriptural. On the other side, you take the, the Protestant, you know, section or what we would be as Christians, you know, believers in Jesus as our Savior and the Martin Luther, the Reformed, any of those camps. And we've almost gone the opposite way. N- not wanting to exaggerate Mary, we haven't really leaned in and understood the importance of Mary's role. But more importantly, why did God choose Mary? And, and what does that mean to us? This is just part of a great story and we celebrate that, but, but what does it mean to us? And, and if you think about it, that's amazing, right? That out of billions and billions and billions of women that were born throughout the history of all of mankind, why did God say that one right there? What was that? Did, did he just like her better? 
was God just in kind of that kind of a mood and just, you know, randomly pulled Mary's name out of the, you know, the divine hat and say, okay, that's going to be it? Because that would contradict God's character. That would contradict what we see in Scripture. So we're going to look today uh, at four characteristics that every one of us could demonstrate, and every one of us should demonstrate, because here's what you're going to understand. For the same reasons that God chose Mary, listen carefully, God's choosing you. Now, I'm not making this up just to kind of encourage you a little bit. There's a reason why you are here and you were born at this particular time in history. And it wasn't by accident. God's looking at somewhere the last two minutes of the game, and this is when it's really crucial, and God made a decision before the, the foundations of the world to say, that's the team I want on the field. Those are the people that I want to be born in that period of history. Those are the people that I'm going to, 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 to lean into, and they're going to lean into me, and we're going to take this thing on home in victory. You're here on purpose. And God has a very specific plan for your life, just like he had for Mary, although coming to grips with that plan could be rather shocking, just like it was for Mary. So we're going to see some characteristics that Mary demonstrated, and I hope that you're going to be able to see either those characteristics already at work in your life, or you're going to be able to see that they are right there in front of you if you just grab them and begin to step in, that God will begin to share with you, he's got a plan for you that will finish strong and, and will live out the rest of your days in victory, not just getting beat up and hoping somehow, you know, that you can make it out, out of all the craziness. God will do what he promised he would do. All right, that takes me to Luke chapter one. <clears throat> hope you're ready. Uh, got a good mindset for the whole series. And uh, here we go. We're in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So there's our character, verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, now listen very carefully. He said to her, the first thing out of his mouth, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Here's the first characteristic that, uh, that enabled God to choose Mary is that Mary was favored by God. But you have to ask why, right? Because like, well, yeah, so God has favorites and, and God just chose her and said, yeah, that one's my, I like that one best. That's my favorite. Because that, that's not at all what, what the Bible teaches about how God uh, distributes or how God places favoritism. In fact, let me, let me refer you to one of the scriptures. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says this, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong, listen, on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So God's eyes were running to and fro about the earth. In fact, not just the planet as it was, but because he's God, he's running to and fro about the earth throughout all the ages of time. And there's something about Mary's heart that caught his attention. Something about Mary heart, Mary's heart that he said, there she is. That's the one. And I'm going to show myself mighty on her behalf. Now, if, if you can grasp that about Mary and you can say, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. That's really great news for you because that's the same exact thing that has happened to you and I if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, listen to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 and 7. It says, we thank God for his loving favor to us 
He gave this loving favor to us through his much-loved son, verse 7, because of the blood of Christ we are bought and made free from the punishment of sin, and because of his blood our sins are forgiven. Listen, his loving favor to us is so rich. Now, if you can come to grips with that, that's why the angel was telling Mary, listen, you're highly favored of God and God's with you. And that should cause you to rejoice. If God is with you, who can be against you? It doesn't, if you knew that God's right here, he's like, I got you. I got you. Don't worry. I got you. I got you. If you knew that you were favored by God, then it puts you in this perpetual state of rejoying re-upping your joy. No matter how much it gets drained, you get a phone call, but it's rejoicing because you're favored of God and God is with you. And that's exactly what he was telling Mary. And this is exactly who, who we are too. But watch this. Mary responds to him very much like you and I often do. We go on to verse 29. It says, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. That's always puzzled me. It doesn't say when she saw him, she was so freaked out because he's this angel, right? And he's bright and he's glowing and he appeared out of nowhere. That, that too. But she was more troubled and confused about his saying. And she said, what manner of greeting is this? Listen, that's not any different than you and I. We read what the word of God says. We can stack scripture on scripture on scripture. We just studied a whole, a, whole, a whole series on covenant and about how God's chosen us and God's committed to us. And he, he loves to, to, to display his favor towards us. And yet we walk away. I don't know, man. That's just hard for me to wrap my head around. Yeah, right? It is. It's so incredibly wonderful that it's really hard to let your mind just absorb it. But that's why the Bible says that we can receive it in the spirit down in our heart we know, and you're going to see it in a minute, down in our heart we know, and then we tell our mind, hey, get on board with this because this is what the word of God says. And so Mary had the same problem. She was troubled at his saying, and she was trying to say, what, what are you saying to me? I, I'm, I'm favored of God? What, what, what do you mean? How, how can you mean that? What, what, how am I so special? What have I done? I'm not perfect. I've got weaknesses. And she walked through the same thing us. But listen to verse 30. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of what? Nothing was said in the scripture that she's afraid of the angel. Maybe she was. But let me tell you what she's freaked out about. She's freaked out because the angel gave her such a, an exalted place in God's heart. When you begin to catch scriptures and say, listen, you are highly favored of God, not because of your actions, but because Jesus paid the price. Because you are forgiven, you are justified, you are highly favored of God. Boy, something in your heart jumps and you're like, oh man, I hate to, I, I hate to, to just believe that hook, line, and sinker. And you got a list a mile long. He said to Mary, don't be afraid, listen, because you found favor with God. There it is again. He's just repeating himself again. Verse 31, now he's going to tell her something about what this favor is going to do. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And, his king, and, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Can I just stop and bring it back to us? Listen to me. If you can recognize that the word of God tells you over and over and over and over again that you're favored, then your eyes and your heart will be open to begin to hear and see that when people are favored, God has a plan. 
And it's not just to keep you in that, just say, well, just stay happy, just stay happy. God's got an amazing plan. He's chosen you. And that was why you were favored because you stepped into what Jesus provided and you became a favored one of God and you activated God's plan for your life. And God wants to share that plan with you. Now, before we go on in the scripture and we find three other characteristics, once, once we get back, it won't take us long, but let me share some things with you about the Christmas story that you may or may not know. Uh, some of them are recorded in scripture and we're going to highlight those and some are not. You have to go to early Christian writers, but the early Christian writers all agree. So this is not, you know, uh, up for debate or up for an opinion. And when I say early Christian writers, many of these writers were still alive when Jesus's mother Mary was alive. They were still alive. They grew up with Jesus. They, they, were, they were like current uh, journalists or news reporters of the day. And, and this is what they all report. And so we're going to highlight some of those. So let me just kind of give you some of these. So uh, it, it's important for us to understand that Mary was from a really good family because all of our postcards or our, our greeting cards and, you know, the pictures we see is Mary and Joseph huddled together with this little baby in the stable. And that, that's a big part of the story. That's important. But we get this idea that they're just kind of scratching out a living in this place called Nazareth. And it's, you know, a little, little village with dirt everywhere. And, and you know, not everybody's just kind of figure out what are we going to eat today? And it's, it's super, super modest is the wrong word I'm looking for. But, but it's super, super, you know, kind of humbled and, and basic and principled. And, but we find out some other things about Mary. And so the first thing is, Mary comes from a really good family. It wasn't just, you know, Mary and, and her family. Neither was it Joseph and just, just the three of them in many, many parts of the story. In fact, the Bible tells us Jesus had two grandfathers. There's an extended family there. Matthew chapter 1 tells us that Joseph's father was Jacob. And Luke chapter 3 outlines Mary's lineage, but it doesn't give us the names of the parents. We have to go to early writers for that. But all of the early, early writers are committed uh, to the fact that Mary's father was named Joachim uh, and her mother was named, was named Anne. And that we also find out from Luke chapter 1 that Mary had cousins. In fact, we're going to read it in the story in just a moment. Uh, we, she had a cousin, Elizabeth, who was married to Zacharias, who, by the way, this will come into the story later, he was a priest. So he wasn't, you know, out in the workplace. He was called to full-time ministry and had dedicated his life. And they had one son. It's part of the story here. That would be Mary's nephew. Uh, his name was John. We know him later on as John the Baptist, which tells us that when Mary and Joseph were raising Jesus, Jesus grew up with uncles and aunts and cousins and grandparents. So this wasn't some small little, you know, isolated family. Listen, we've got to begin to recognize something's bigger going on that's contributing to this. And in fact, if we just kind of put all this together, we find out that Mary has a heart for family. In Matthew chapter 13, it says Jesus had four brothers. Their names were James, Jude, Joseph, and Simon. Mark chapter 6 says that he had sisters. And the Greek, the Greek term there is plural, which means he had at least two, which tells us the household that Jesus grew up in and spent most of his time was a household, a nuclear family of nine. Two parents and seven children, not just Joseph and Mary and Jesus the whole time. He's growing up in a pretty large, functioning Jewish family. And if you look through the Bible, the extended family that we can verify and listed is at least 14 from multiple generations. And so this is the context that they grew up in. Well, early Christian writers add some other interesting things that kind of flavor and enrich the story for us. And they tell us that uh, that Mary's parents... Uh, Joachim and Anne didn't have any children for the longest time. 
desperately wanted children. And they finally made a prayer. They vowed to God, if you will bless us with a child, we will dedicate that child back to you. And historical writing said that Mary was born, and that's exactly what they did. They, they dedicated Mary back to the Lord. But that tells us something about this particular environment that Mary grew up in, that Mary grew up in a home that was very open with her to tell her, listen, you were born for a purpose. You, you, you were not just, you know, kind of like, oh, we just had kids and we, we prayed for you. We believed God for you and you came, you were born for a purpose and God has a plan for your life. And if I can just take this moment to say, parents, listen to me, it is so important that we not only dedicate our children to the Lord, not talking about the one time stand on the platform thing, that, that's important. That's corporate, right? That's in front of God and everyone else. I'm talking about dedicating our, our children and dedicating ourselves. That we're going to raise these children in the ways of God. We're going to raise these children in the scriptures. We're going to raise these children in church, surrounded by the things of God. We're going to raise them teaching and training them that God has a plan for you. And scripture goes on and tells us why it was such a focus for Mary's parents and why we can know this with a confidence because it goes on to tell us that Mary's father, Joachim, was a full-time minister. He was what's called a scroll scholar. Which means he was not just a man of God, a religious man, many of the Jewish men were, uh, but he was a man of the word. He was a man that studied the scriptures and he was a man that was in the synagogue, we would say at church. He was in the synagogue and at church a lot because that's where the scrolls were. And let me just take this time again to say, parents, it's so important that you keep your children in church and you keep the word of God around your children. Uh, This is like vitally important. And when I say in church, I don't mean drop them off. I don't mean give them permission to go and catch a ride with somebody. I mean, take them to church and engage with them. Do not let church be optional. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 tells us when we see all of these signs that the the end is coming, that Jesus is coming soon, it says all the more. All the more, whatever your line was of consistency and commitment, raise that bar. All the more, especially when you see the days approaching, this is not a time to back off. This is not a time to get convenient. This is a time to lean in because I'm telling you, Jesus is coming and eternity is here and the plans of God are being distributed on a whole different level because we're coming to the last part of the game. And I know so I've talked to some people and they're saying, yeah, but you know, Pastor Gil, I'm just going to be honest with you. My kids just don't like to come to church. It's boring. Listen, and I say this, I know that some of you, uh, you know, youth or young adult might be listening and maybe that's where you were. I was there. All three of my kids were there. But let me just tell you from a parental point of view, um, there's some things that are just not optional. Going to school is not optional. But I would love to hear from a parent who every single day their child jumped out of bed and said, I'm so excited about studying today. I'm so excited about homework tonight. I'm so excited about these terms, you know, these, these projects or these and, and the end, end of the semester tests. That, that's not true. But we encourage them sometimes firmly to say, listen, that's not an option. Get it done. Healthy practices, diet, eating, cleansliness. Listen, those are not optionals. And, but not all the time as the kids are growing through different stages. They don't want to take a bath. They don't want to take a shower. They don't want to eat their vegetables. They'd rather eat ice cream and cookies. And, and we draw these firm lines because that's not optional. Listen to me. Spiritual development is not optional. 
It's not. I grew up in a home and neither of my parents were in full-time ministry, but we were that family that my mom and dad caught a principal and we were the first ones there and last ones to leave. And I can remember some of the things that impacted me most were not just key people in the church, Sunday school teachers and, you know, some of the leaders and the pastors who would lean into our family in key times and invest into me and my two brothers. But some of the things that, that impacted me the most that I can close my eyes and still experience a portion of it is listening to my mom and dad worship. Standing right next to them in church and seeing my dad with his two big old strong arms that I just thought he could defeat the world. And in that moment, tears streaming down his face, he surrendered to his king. I will never forget that. It echoes in my heart as my hero was worshiping his hero. And it tuned my heart to his hero. Listen, this is so important, parents. This is part of what the Bible tells us in Proverbs 22.6, that it says that we are to train up a child in the way they should go. And if we'll do that, as they reach maturity, they will not depart from it. This is our responsibility as parents. Grandparents, you're not off the hook because once the parents take over, we have to do it differently. We have to do it from a distance, but we're still investing in the game. These are generations being unfolded. We pray, we support, we, we look for opportunities to, to offer, offer wisdom and insight from the scriptures. But this is really important. And this, this is what the Bible requires. And listen to me, come back to the story. This is what Mary grew up in. She grew up in an environment where this wasn't just a religious practice, but the word of God was truth. And the things of God were the highest priority. And, and because of that, Mary grew up in, in this environment, not just hearing God's got a plan for your life, but watching mom and dad pursue that plan. And watching, listening to their prayers and recognizing these are authentic. These are not just little, you know, tip your hat to God, but these are authentic, heart-wrenching prayers at times. And Mary, Mary walked in this environment. Again, we, the other reason we know this is because uh, Joseph, again, um, Joseph, Joachim, again, was a scroll scholar, but he wasn't a scroll scholar in Nazareth. Now, Luke chapter 1 tells us that they lived in Nazareth. And that was a small town, but Christian writers tell us that Joachim was a scroll scholar. He, in other words, he was in charge of all the word of God, all the scrolls, and he was a scroll scholar in a synagogue in a nearby city called Sephoris. And we'll learn more about this city as the series progresses, but this, is, this was a magnificent city. This was a beautiful city, and the synagogue was gorgeous and, and very elaborate because this city was, was deemed by the Roman Empire to become one of the crowning jewels of the import-exports that were going on in that area. And so Joseph, about four miles away, he was the scroll scholar in this synagogue. And the reason that I bring this out to you, because even though they lived modestly in this little town called Nazareth, Joseph, or Joachim rather, was a man of great influence. He, he was not some guy who just, you know, kind of dragging himself to work, hoping to get another paycheck. He had responsibility, spiritual responsibility. He had gained respect, not just from the local villagers who lived life with him day in and day out, but he gained respect from religious leaders to the point that he was entrusted with a very important and a very sacred responsibility. But not only that, Joachim and Anne had proven their spirituality. These are people that believe God for the impossible. And God did it for him. And they turned around and did exactly what they promised God. They didn't forget about God after they got the blessing. They followed through and they lived a life that was committed to God. And this is the home that, that Mary grew up in. It's important to see that because those were ingredients that preconditions her. 
helps her to have a right mindset and a right heart for when God begins to speak these profound things, Mary, Mary has some kind of a context for how do you begin to interact with the God of the impossible. Well, we find out in Luke one twenty seven that again, we read it already, Mary was betrothed or a spouse to Joseph. And that's important because tradition says that Mary could have been somewhere between 12 and 14 years old, which to us is like, ooh, that's just, that's wrong. But that's how it was in the Jewish culture. And we find out that once they they got betrothed or engaged, this started back in those days, a one-year training period for marriage. And during that training period, this engaged couple was not allowed any physical contact. No intimacy. No holding hands. No being alone together at all for, for one year while training was happening. And that's important. And that's why Mary responds to the angel when he says, yeah, you're, you're going to have a baby. She's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You do realize that I'm engaged and I can't touch my fiance or my husband. I can't touch him for a year. And listen how she responds in Luke 1 verse 34. It says, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? How how in the world is that possible? What you're saying is going to happen to me. How's that possible? Because I'm not in the right situation to, to start a family. Here's number two. Mary was open to understand. Mary was open to understand. What God was speaking to her made no sense. What the angel was promising her couldn't have been more impossible. But she didn't write it off and she didn't say, yeah, I wish that would be great. But yeah, that's not going to happen. Mary's heart stayed open and she was willing first to listen and to learn. By the way, you and I have the same option if we're believers in Jesus Christ. James chapter one, verse five says, if you need wisdom about anything, like I don't, I I, I don't even know what to do. how, How do you even approach that? If you need wisdom about anything, ask our generous God. And he will give it to you and he will not rebuke you for asking. All we have to do is ask. But you say, yeah, but I don't even know what to ask. Got another scripture for you. Listen to Romans 8, 26. It says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't always know what God wants us to pray for. We don't even know how to pray. But the Holy Spirit prays for us. Actually, a much better and a much more literal translation is he prays with us. He joins in that situation with us. But notice this. It says that he prays with us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. That's this prayer language that we call tongues. Boy, it is so important that you consider having a prayer language in your life because there are times when your head can't wrap around something. But if you've got this communication with God, you're not stuck. You're never stuck. You just begin to pray in this language and the Holy Spirit steps right into that and partners with you and it's from your heart to God's ears and eventually your mind catches up. This is exactly what what we're given and Mary was walking down a similar trail. I don't know what you're saying. I don't know how to wrap my head around this, but I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to learn. And so Mary's asking questions. Here's the point. God never minds you and I asking questions. Never. And he always responds. In fact, that's what we see in verse 35. We're back in Luke 1. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Stop. When you begin asking God questions like, how in the world is this going to come? Here's what you're most likely going to hear. Listen, I'm going to do it. 
If you could do it, you wouldn't ask questions, right? Well, I can see how that could happen. It could happen this way or that way. But there are things that God's going to speak to you and I about what he wants to do in our lives moving forward until Jesus comes back that only he can do. In fact, some of those things in a, in a similar way, in a parallel way to Mary, some of those things, the Holy Spirit will have to birth that inside of you before you can even get your heart wrapped around it. You want me to do what? You're saying you're, you're going to use me in what way? You, you're, but, but that's exactly, Mary's like, how in the world is that going to happen? He said, oh no, listen, you don't have to be pressured. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Verse four, verse, uh, it goes on. It says, therefore also that Holy One who will be born of God will be called the Son of God. Now he shifts. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Listen to verse 37. For or because with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing. I know that circumstances are telling you, now that's just not, it's impossible. I know that, you know, some of your own thoughts, and maybe at my age, I'm not, you know, I've passed my prime, or I'm not at the right stage, or I'm too young, or I don't have the education, or I don't have the opportunity. You got a list a mile long about why it's impossible. But listen, with God, nothing shall be impossible. And listen, when Mary heard that, verse, the next verse says, then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Now, this is important because this word maidservant is the Greek word dule, and there's a number of words for slaves or servants or people that are committed uh, to, to su- in, in supportive roles. But this, this word is the bottom of the list. This is talking about the last one on the pecking order of all the servants or all the slaves. This is the one that's willing to do any job. They have no, no mind of their own. <clears throat> They don't hold any of their own rights. They're completely submitted to what the master says. And they're like, just tell me what to do. I'll do anything you want me to do. Mary put herself all the way down at the bottom of the list and said, okay, I'm favored of God. I get that. I don't understand that. But listen to me. I want you to know I am your servant. You just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And she went on and had an accent and said, let it be to me according to your word. And the Bible says, and the angel departed. Listen, here's number three, the characteristic. Mary received God's promise by faith. It's the only way you can receive it. In fact, that's what Romans chapter four, verse 16 says. It says, therefore, inheriting the promise depends entirely, entirely on faith. That is confident trust in an unseen God in order that it may be given as an act of grace, his unmerited favor and mercy. There's so many Christians that are trying to wait until they can see it, until they can figure it out, until we feel like we have the qualifications. Okay, maybe I'm in the right position now. Listen to me. You have to place your heart and your life in the, in the hands of God. I'm your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. You tell me how it's going to work. I will do whatever you tell me to do. I will submit to you because that's receiving a promise by faith. And saying, you're the only one that can work this out. I'm just not going to stress about it, but I'm going to lean in and be obedient and let you just walk me right into what you've called me. In fact, listen to Hebrews 10, 38. It says, now the just shall live by faith. This should characterize our life as Christ followers. Everything in our life is submitted to the Lord. Everything in our life is, well, 
Be it unto me according to your word. Whatever you say, that, that's the direction I'm going. I'll shift. I'll adjust. I'll move anything around. But I'm going to follow you because I'm completely sold out and committed to you. This is exactly what the Bible says. The just shall live by faith. But notice this. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. In other words, at one point you were sold out. I mean, that's how you got born again, right? Jesus, I give you my whole life. Just wash me and clean me and fix me back up again. I give you my whole life. And then as he started putting you back together again, some people begin to back up. Okay, I got, I got this from here. Okay, no, I'm not, I can't do that. that. I mean, that's just not me. I'm not wired that way. And a hundred reasons, but it says, listen, we live our whole life in a place of faith. All right, let's finish the story and we'll look at our final characteristic. We're in Luke chapter one, verse 39. It says, now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a hill, to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Remember, these were her cousins, Elizabeth's her cousin, Zacharias is her husband. Uh, Verse 41, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an important part of the story. Elizabeth somewhere in the back room. Maybe she's in the kitchen scurrying around. I don't know where she was, but she hears Mary at the front door. And as soon as she hears Mary's voice say, hey, Uncle Zach, or hey, Cousin Zacharias, how are you doing? As soon as she hears that, she hasn't spoken to Mary. Mary hasn't spoken to her. But as soon as she hears that, something happens and the baby on the inside leaps inside of her. And not only that, the Bible says that in that moment, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. You have to see that. Because everything she's about to say, she doesn't have any context other than the, the Spirit of God talking to her. So, suddenly, she, she's catching some things, and she's, she's saying some things that, this is, man, I just, I just, I just sense this is true. But, but Mary hasn't told her story yet. Listen to this. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women, talking to Mary, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary hasn't told her she's pregnant. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ear, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And listen to what she says in verse 45. Blessed is she who believed. For there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told of her from the Lord. Can I just stop you? Listen to me. If you're willing to open your heart to the Lord, to recognize that God's already favored you because of what Jesus did, to lean in and begin to listen. And when he speaks, to ask questions, not just throw it away like, no, that, I, don't, I just don't understand that, but lean in and ask questions. And then once the promise begins to be clarified, accept it by faith. Yeah, you won't be able to see how is it going to happen? When's it going to happen? This is completely by faith. But once you, once you catch that, then listen to me, you step into faith, and let me promise you what will happen every single time. God will begin to confirm his word. God will begin to confirm it. Something will line up circumstantially. Someone will come up and say, you know, the weirdest thing, I was just praying for you the other day, and I just felt like the Lord tell, told me to tell you this. And you're like, really? Because that's exactly, look, I got written in my journal right here. It's exactly what the Lord said. And this is exactly what happened to Mary. Elizabeth begin, begins to confirm to her and says, my, and says, blessed is she who believed And now let me just tell you, the Lord's going to do exactly what he promised he would do. And that's important you see that because look at the final collection of verses we're going to to read. Verse 46 says, and Mary said, or when Mary heard her say that, then Mary said this, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God. 
Now, those are important things. Those are two different things. So in, the, in, in her spirit, down in the deep part of her, she caught something from the angel. She received it by faith, but she's got all these questions. She's traveling to Cousin Elizabeth's house. She's got all these questions, and just like you and I, she's human. How's this going to happen? Are you sure that was an angel? Did he really mean this? What, what if it was just kind of a, a spiritual metaphor? What if it's not really literal? And all these questions that are happening in her mind. But as soon as Elizabeth confirms this, listen, she said, my soul, my emotions... All of my, my thought process, my logic, my intelligence, all this rationale, and my ability to, to lock into this thing and say, okay, I'm moving forward. All of those pushed God way up to the top. It magnified. It made God big in the situation. Wow, God really is involved in this thing. And as that happened, it released a whole nother level of rejoicing down in her spirit because she knew that she knew that she knew that God was speaking. And look why, what, what the rejoicing, what it is centered on. The last verse, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth, listen, listen to this faith statement. For behold, henceforth, all generations will cause me blessed. Mary's already calling things that are not as though they are. Mary's speaking about something that is literally impossible. She's not even sure that, you know, that, that this is initiated physically, but she's already beginning to state it by faith because it's been confirmed by the Lord. And she starts saying, okay, then forever and ever, it's going to be exactly like what the angel said. Here's the fourth principle. Mary praised before the blessings came. She didn't wait till after the blessing came. I just got a testimony. That's wonderful. We should do that. But once Mary locked in, Mary changed the way that she saw and she changed the way that she talked and she began to give praise and honor and glory to God for what he promised he would do, not just for what he'd already done. And this is really, really important for us because when we see all four of these characteristics line up, we're talking about Mary was favored, that she was open to ask questions and understand, that she was willing to receive by faith, and then she was willing to give praise to God before the thing even happened. It sums up in, 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 in this one big component, Mary had a humble heart. And I'm not making this stuff up. This is literally what the Bible talks about. In fact, listen to those same last two verses in Luke chapter 1. It says, Then Mary said, My heart is overflowing with praise of my Lord, my soul filled with joy in God my Savior, for he has deigned to notice me, his humble servant, that word Dane is the Greek word epiblepo, and it literally means he stooped down and he looked way down where, where I was in this lowly, humble state, and God began to speak to me favor and blessing. In other words, he's not some God way up in the sky. He knows my situation in this tiny little town of Nazareth. Here's this 12 to 14-year-old girl who's just trying to wrap her head around what it's going to mean to be married, and God looks all the way down and says, but I see your heart. I see you've got a heart that's willing and open, saying, I don't know how this is going to happen. But God, all my life, my parents have been telling me, God's got a plan, God's got a plan, God's got a plan. Okay, whatever the plan is, I'm open. Talk to me. Do what only you can do. And that's exactly what happened. I'm going to read you one more scripture, and we'll finish here. James chapter 4, verse 6 says that God resists the proud. But listen, but God gives grace to the humble goes on in verse 10 and says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And if you do, he will lift you up. Eyes of the Lord are roaming to and fro saying, show me somebody who's got a humble heart. 
somebody who says, I don't know how in the world, Lord. I'm, I'm way down here. I don't know how I can navigate all this stuff. But greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Can I give you this last little bit? Because Mary continued to live in a humble life. In fact, the Bible goes on and tells us some things that number one, she gave birth and she raised Jesus with, with her other set, you know, six kids. And she did this in the admonition of the Lord with her husband all the way until Jesus was 30. And then he launched his ministry and we find Mary scattered throughout his ministry. She's still supporting. She's still following his ministry. Lots of times like, I don't understand really what's going on, but Mary just stayed right in there. Not only that, Mary was at the cross when Jesus died, which was a pretty risky thing to do. Not all the disciples were standing there because of how he'd been labeled and why he'd been crucified. Mary was also among the ones who was listed as as having seen him after the resurrection. Here's a shocker to most people, especially to people who've kind of idolized her. But Mary was one of the ones listed as being in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And Acts chapter 2 says Mary was one of the ones who spoke in tongues. I don't know what you're going to do with that, but Mary was one of the original Pentecostals. She understood the importance of this prayer language, this this ability to have a personal, intimate communication with the Holy Spirit and with God. And not only that, but uh, as Jesus uh, as Jesus uh, discussed with John at, off on the cross, Mary spent the rest of her latter years with the Apostle John and his family. She was part of the Ephesus Church. And listen to me, uh, Christian writers believe that Luke interviewed Mary and got a lot of his information that we read in Luke chapter 1. He got it straight from Mary because Mary gave him firsthand account. This, this is actually what happened. Let me, let me just tell you the inside story. Here's what I want you to see. It wasn't always easy for Mary. It was a lot of factors that were buzzing all the time. It was very complex. Sometimes it felt risky. But because Mary continued to humble her heart to the Lord, Mary lived a thrilling and a hope-filled life that we're still talking about it today. God wants to do the exact same thing for us. Jesus is coming soon, but he's not finished with us. We're just getting started. God's got a really big plan for us. I'm telling you, every single one of you, I don't care how old you are or how young you are, if you're still breathing, God's got a plan for your life. And he's just waiting for us to just lay it down and humble, humble ourselves and just say, okay, Lord, then be it unto me according to your word. I don't know how you can do this, but I trust you. for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.